0: Well, we'll start out by just saying good morning to each and every one of you here this morning. Thankful for the uh, for the Bible study that we're able to have this morning, looking at our relationship with uh, with the Lord, uh, and also uh, uh, the song service. Just uh, especially touched my heart this morning, the singing songs uh, uh, that just some of them old, familiar songs, but just really good songs that uh, that uh, touch your heart. And thinking about thinking about. Uh, being able to be at the mercy seat of God, and that's where we hope that we are able to be this morning, uh, is, is find ourselves down before uh, the mercy seat of God. And I, as we look at some things this morning, part of our, part of our study uh, has been on the book of Romans, and as we look at the book of Romans, uh, we've, gone, we've worked our way up through Romans chapter 8. Uh, and we'll go back and look at a little bit and discuss some things about 7 and 8, just a little bit leading into 9. But as you, as we get into the 9th chapter of the book of Romans this morning, what you're going to notice almost instantly as we begin to go into this portion of the uh, book of Romans is there's, there's a change of tone uh, or, or tenor, I guess, compared to the end of chapter 8 as we go into chapter 9. But Paul is trying to continue to make a point here uh, as he talks about the fact that God has a people of both among the Jews and among the Gentiles. He's made that theme abundantly clear as he's writing to this church at Rome, as they're struggling, no doubt, with uh, the fact that uh, some of them there have been raised up to serve, uh, to worship the law. They feel like a dedication to the law. Uh, they feel like there's things that they need to continue to do, and Paul is trying to make the point to them: God has a people that uh, that have been blessed to have the laws of God written in their hearts uh, and on their minds, and they serve God out of out of the fact that God has implanted the faith of God in them uh, when they were born of the Spirit of God. And so, uh, as as he brings this point together, he makes a number of points that we will kind of touch on this morning. Uh, but as we as we go into this, uh, I just want to go back now and kind of refresh your mind. In the end of the 7th chapter of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul is talking about the fact that uh, he, ha- he has a struggle. As he's, as he's come out of the, the law service of God himself, and as he, as he has realized he's married to another, uh, that he is, uh, is now to be married to, the, to Jesus Christ and to worship him, he, he confesses to these people here at Rome... I have even though I've been born of the Spirit of God, and even though I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, there's a struggle that goes on inside of me because although I'm born again, I still have a flesh nature about me and he, and he carries this on on to talk about this is this is the, uh, this is the every man struggle. This, this is life like you and I live it every day is the fact that there's this, there's this warfare that's going on inside of us. Uh, do I do I serve the flesh uh, or do I serve the Spirit of God do I walk after the things of the Spirit of God that's the battle every day when we're when we're tempted and tried uh, and and things are going on and somebody speaks sharply to us uh, at work or at home or wherever it may be or something uh, uh, in the news seems to get after us you know and suddenly stirs us stirs us up in a certain way how do I? How do I respond to that? Do I respond as my flesh wants to respond? Do I lash out? Do I, uh, do I uh, rebel and so forth against these? Or do I, do I look at it through the lens of the Spirit of, the Spirit of God? And, and I could turn over this morning, it be a, probably be a great time as we talk about some of this to go over to the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians and talk about what the fruit of the Spirit of God is. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance. All of those things are laid out. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And so as we're examining how, how we're walking in this, and, and, and you, can go, you can go back and reread the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, at least the first part of it, where Paul tells us there, to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Uh, So when we let our carnal minds begin to to lead the way and direct us in where we're going and what we're doing he says you're actually following after the ways of death. Uh, And that's the ways of, uh, and I'll just say of the flesh. Uh, To be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. And he then goes on and makes the point. But if Christ is in you, if you've been born of the Spirit of God, uh, then you're one of His. uh, And you cry out, have father, but he says uh, the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. So he says, even though you've got this struggle going on and the suffering is taking place, he says just keep just keep it in the right uh, right frame of mind. Uh, even though you're struggling, and sometimes you know when I, I listen to the prayer requests and other things that are going on in your lives, and I hear you talking about. I've got, I've got this health problem or I've, I know this person that has this cancer or this person that has this issue going on. And, you know, sometimes it, this, the weight of all of, the, of just living life seems like it almost carries us to places, you know, that we just, we don't feel like we can bear the burden, okay, that it just gets to be too much. And I'll tell you, uh, <clears throat> the reality is you can't carry the burden. Uh, and if, and, if, and if, we're not, if we're not realizing that uh, Jesus Christ is carry, carrying our burdens for us. And, and so that's what he tells us here in Romans chapter 8. The sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Okay? But then he goes on and says, uh, as he talks his way through that in Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to turn my Bible back over there for just a minute. Uh, he says, the whole creation... And when he talks about the whole creation, I think he's talking about the, the, cre- the creation. If we went back to Genesis, uh, you know, creation is something that only God can do. Uh, God is the one that can take nothing and, ba- and, and something appear, okay? Uh, he took nothing when it comes to you and I, and he made us new creatures in Christ Jesus. He created a new life inside of us that did not exist there before, and so we're called new creatures. And we think about uh, as new creatures, we have a a, a a twofold nature. We have this spirit nature now that we're born of the spirit of God, but we also have this carnal nature. And Paul tells us that the whole creature, this whole creation, is struggling and groaning uh, here in this world that we're living that we're living in. And he says, but he says. For we are saved, he says, what is the, what is the creature waiting for? The creature is waiting for the adoption to with the redemption of the body, okay? So this, this whole nature that we're living with, this flesh nature, what we're looking for is the ultimate victory over the flesh. Uh, we, you know, we'd like to have it right here, right now sometimes. You know, Lord, just give me the victory now. But Paul tells us the ultimate victory actually is... Well, we could actually look over into 1 first, uh, first Corinthians 15. Death is swallowed up in victory, okay? So uh, the ultimate victory is when the flesh is not bothering us anymore, and we know that when we're born this, uh, that when we, when we die and the flesh goes to the grave, there's a victory in that. But Paul says there's even a greater thing that the creature's looking for. The creature's looking for the adoption to wit, the redemption of the body. It's actually looking, what the creature is actually, or what we should be thinking about here, is we're looking for that day when we're going to have glorified bodies, when these old natural bodies of ours are going to be glorified bodies, and then we don't have any more sin, flesh issues struggling within us, okay? So he says, for we are saved by hope, but hope which is seen is not hope, for what a man seeth, why do they yet hope for it? So as he, as he couches this here in, in Romans 8, he's telling us uh, that uh, there's a salvation that we can experience now, a deliverance that you can experience now. A, a lot of people, uh, and I say a lot of people, various religious groups have different thoughts, different ideas, you know, God bless them, uh, I'm glad there's people out there that love the Lord and worship Jesus Christ, but many times we get different ideas from what the scripture teaches, okay, and uh, one of the, you know, uh, a lot of people don't, uh, don't really buy into this idea that there's a salvation that we can experience now in this life uh, that's, I won't say separate because they're not totally separate. Uh, it's not like that uh, you can be born of the Spirit of God and have eternal salvation that's going to be uh, for us uh, in the future that we're not experiencing some of that now through the deliverances that God gives us from the flesh and from our sin and so forth. Uh, but uh, he, when he says here, you're saved by hope, he's talking about a deliverance from what? Well, he's been talking for a couple of chapters now about all this suffering that we're going through and this struggle and this fight that we're going through. In the seventh chapter, Paul is telling us about this struggle that he has, the things that he would do, he would not. And the things that he would not, those are the things that he does. And he gets to the end of the seventh chapter and he tells us, he says... Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I, Paul says, the fight is going on. And I'm wondering, how do, how do I get out of this? And then he says, thanks be to God, which giveth me the victory in Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay? So he, he's building up to this thing, and he's telling us the struggle is real. The suffering is real here in this life. The, the struggles with sin, the struggles with the, uh, the, the results of sin in this world, it's real. And he says, you need something to cling to that will save you while you're living in the here and now before you see the ultimate salvation, which is the deliverance from death and the ultimate victory when Christ comes back again and raises our bodies. We need something to cling to between now and then. And he says, we're saved by hope. And he says, but hope that's seen." In other words, you've got to walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, that's part of what he's telling us here. And he says, the way we do this now is, he says, for if we hope for that we see not, then we do with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit help, helpeth our infirmities. What is it you need right now? You need the Spirit of God giving you strength. I was reading, I was reading some things this week. I've been studying uh, quite a bit about the Spirit of God, okay? And as we, as we study about that word, the Spirit of God, uh, the, one, of the, one of the promises that Jesus Christ gave to his disciples when he was leaving here, he told his disciples, he says, if I go not away, the comforter will not come. And as some of the reading I was doing, it, it, it talks about the fact that word comforter uh, is translated from a Greek word called paraclete. Uh, and the paraclete, and in the, in the word that's mentioned there, that paraclete, the comforter, is one that walks along beside us. Uh, in other words, the, and, and think about the word comfort. The word comfort is broken, in English, is spoke, broken up into two words, come meaning with, and for or forte. When somebody says, that's not my forte, what are they saying? They're saying, that's not my strength. But the comforter is with strength. Okay, so the paraclete, the one that walks along beside, the one that walks with us here in this world, gives us strength. Okay, and so he, when he says here, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. How? Because it gives us strength. You and you and I need strength, brothers and sisters, while we're walking here as we're facing this struggle as we're struggling against the flesh and he says, the spirit helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit itself by the way that word that uh, that word uh, uh, paraclete also means it's like an uh, it, it also not only means a comforter but it and uh, with with strength. It's also the same word that's translated when you turn over later in the New Testament Scriptures and it says, uh, it talks about that we have an advocate with God which is Jesus Christ our Lord. You know what that word advocate is translated from? Paraclete. That word advocate means we have someone that's there going, that's uh, interceding for us, that's an intercessory for us. He's that one that's there as that advocate, as like the defense attorney, if you will, there for us in our case. So, So when he tells us here that the Spirit helpeth our infirmities, gives us strength, for we know what not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession. He's our advocate. He's the one that's making intercession for us. With groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So, why did I go back into that all with so much depth here this morning, other than just some things I've been studying about, I guess, uh, is to look at and think about <clears throat> we're saved by hope. But what is it that gets us through this hope that helps us get through all this struggle? It's not just like we're sitting here, well, well, I sure hope I get by with it. No, we've got a hope that's anchored in the fact that we have the Spirit of God interceding for us in our prayer life as we're praying and as we're searching we're not we're not just saying uh, uh you know the the Bible tells us over at another place uh, uh the book of James, I believe it is uh, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much uh and, and if we get the idea that we, you know maybe you maybe you look at yourself and maybe, like I look at myself and you say, well you know i'm really not that righteous, you know so how are my prayers going to avail much with the lord I'm not a very righteous holy uh uh Sinless person in my life. I've got my. I've got my issues. So if the righteous uh, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, available, how are my prayers going to be heard? Because the Spirit of God is interceding for us. The Spirit of God is giving us strength. The Spirit of God knows what we need. Uh, and so when you and I are struggling, like Paul was struggling, like you and I are struggling, uh, when we're trying to figure out, am I am I carnally minded or spiritually minded? Which where am I at in this battle today? You know, I might look at it on the big picture and say, Well, I think I I think I kind of come out on the spirit side most of the time. But you know, how am I doing today? How am I doing this hour, this minute with my struggle, okay? Uh, And so uh, he says, remember you've got, as you're praying, the Spirit of God is interceding for you, and he knows exactly what you need, and he communicates that with the intercessor, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord, and they're there interceding for you and me. So he says, one of the things that you've got going for you in this old world is you've got prayer, and not only as you, as you pray, the other thing you've got going for you is the Spirit knows what you need, and He's interceding for you in prayer. Uh, and He says, not only that, this salvation, this hope that saves us while we're here, this hope that saves us is also firmly founded in the things that we find in Romans 8.28 through, through the end of the chapter, and that is the fact that whom He did foreknow them he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. And whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say to these things, right? If God be for us, who can be against us? I mean, so that's the hope, right? That's why we're living here. Even though we're suffering, even though we're struggling, we know the ultimate victory's out there in front of us because Jesus Christ has determined that God the Father has determined that, so we can walk in hope while we live here, knowing this life is not all there is. Okay, and so that's uh, so. If you read this in Romans chapter eight, I said I was going to preach on Romans chapter nine. I'm actually I actually am going to get there, uh, but as as he was as he as we finish this up in Romans eight, part of what he's it seems like. I don't know about you, but as I read these words in Romans 8, and, and you get, you know, what can, who can separate, what shall separa, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 35. So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So there's this there's this hopeful uplifting portion of scripture that says you may be suffering, you may be struggling, but you know what? You can rest your hope in the fact that God knew you. God loved you, he predestinated you, uh, he, uh, he called you, he justified you, he glorified you. Who can separate you from the love of Christ? Can anything do that? Nay, and all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us. Paul says, for I am persuaded. I don't believe this was like, well, I kind of got this idea. No, Paul was persuaded down in the depth of his heart by what he had learned about his Lord. He says, I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, all, all, the, all the demonic powers out there in the world, okay? Uh, all the fallen angels, all the things of Satan, all, the, uh, all the, uh, uh, the, the forces of evil in this world. Paul says, I'm convinced that neither angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present nor things to come. You know, if, if I'm sitting here today and I'm saying, well, uh, you know, I'm not sure about what's going on in the world today. Paul says, not only can the things that are going on today not separate you from the love of God, the things that are yet to come. And, it's going to get, and evil men are going to wax worse and worse. This whole world's going downhill. And the reason it's going downhill is because unless it, unless it does that, Jesus Christ will not return. Right, I mean that—that's what the scripture tells us. It's going to get we, evil, evil, and and uh, it's going to get to the place where it's going to be. Uh, the Bible says that when Christ comes back again, it's going to be like it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you go read it, read those things, and the Bible probably doesn't make it as as bad. As it could be made, and being kind and what it's saying was going on at Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? And so as we look at it, it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah, it says at another place. Uh, well, what do, what does the Bible tell us about the days of Noah? Men's minds were on evil continually. That's what the world was like. And that's so when we sit around here and look at today, you know, and I you know what I what I say about all that? That doesn't mean it has to be evil in my house, okay? Uh, I don't, you know. Even though the the world is going to get more and more evil, it doesn't have to be evil at my house, and I don't have to be evil, and I don't have to be a part of that. I can be, maybe I can be like Noah was and be a preacher of righteousness. Okay, and even though uh, uh, the world was going downhill, and Noah spent the last hundred years of his life building building an ark and preaching to the people that were there, uh, I can go on serving God up until the very time that He peers out here in the skies. Okay, but. But, uh, can anything, Paul says, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor, thing, or, or, nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature should be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're one of his children. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, okay? Now, you say, wow. That I mean, you know, if I'm writing, if I'm writing, if I'm writing this story, you know, in one sense, you say, so, "Man, I want to end it right here." <laughs> Paul's just halfway through the letter. Paul, Paul's just getting going, right? Uh, and but, it, but it seems like so exciting, so climatic for what he's saying. Then he starts chapter nine like this: "I say a truth in Christ; I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost." that I have a great heaviness and a continual sorrow in my heart. You say, wow, we just got through talking about how great thing, how nothing could separate us from the love of Christ, and now Paul starts off chapter 9 by saying, I, the Holy Spirit is my witness that I've got a continual sorrow in my, in my heart. Well, what's going on, Paul? For I could wish myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, for my kinsmen, according to the flesh, Who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Okay, so I'm going to stop right there uh, for just a moment. Because if we're we're not careful, and and there's a couple of things that have happened here in the book of Romans that I think bear looking, looking at real quickly as we kind of delve into this. Uh, this morning, because one in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans, the apostle Paul defined, at least in the context of the book of Romans, I think he defined what adoption is. Adoption is the is the redemption of the body, which means the glorifying of the body, and and so uh, as we look at, and and as we look back, let's go back to the second chapter of the book of Romans. Uh, because between what he said here and what he said in eight, we get some definition of what he's talking about here in this ninth chapter, the beginning of this ninth chapter of the book of Romans. In the eighth chapter of the book of Romans, uh, uh, in the second chapter of the book of Romans, he tells us th- this, and and he says, "For he, verse twenty-eight, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly; neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh." But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of, the, that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. I think, as I've meditated and thought about some, some things that we find here in the ninth chapter of the book of Romans, I think it's in, it's so intentional. Uh, you know, Paul Paul is not writing this haphazard letter. He is so intentional with what he's writing, and the fact that here in the in Romans two he says a Jew is one which is one uh, inwardly and not one that's outward. Uh, well, outward, who all was circumcision given to? Circumcision was given to Abraham to begin with. Abraham circumcised Ishmael, uh, which was his son by the handmaid, uh, which was spoken of by God Himself as not being His son uh, when he says Abraham go and take your son your only begotten son he's talking about Isaac uh, and go and take him to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him there to us uh, there to me Uh, but uh, as he's talking here about a Jew he says a Jew uh, which is uh, uh, which is one he is not a Jew which is one outwardly neither is circumcision neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. Now, so what is, he, what is he talking about? He's describing in another context, if you will, what the new birth is all about. The new birth, you and I have a hardened, stony heart. We have a heart of flesh. And God takes our heart, if you will, I I know if if you're watching online or if you're here with me this morning, he takes that old heart and he, he cuts the flesh away from it and gives you a heart of feeling, a heart of spirit, a heart that can be touched with the feelings of infirmities and with compassion, maybe compassion you never had before in your life about anything God takes that old heart and in the new birth he writes his laws in there. And so uh, the Old Testament uh, practice of circumcision was something that God gave to the Jews to identify them particularly as being his chosen people. But Paul comes here in the New Testament and says, a Jew is not really one that's circumcised in the flesh outwardly. A Jew is really one who is circumcised inwardly in the heart. So he's now redefined what a Jew is, okay? Uh, And he also is going to redefine for us over here in the ninth chapter, what an Israelite is. Uh, and so as we, as we take these two, Jews would be all of those who were descended, uh, if you will, from Abraham uh, through, through Isaac uh israelites are named after jacob's part of the family if you will and not esau's part of the family uh, israelites were those who were uh judah uh jacob who was uh we'll get to es- esau and jacob here in a minute in the ninth chapter uh but uh, jacob had his name changed by god himself uh jacob means supplanter uh, he was a, new, a usurper, if you will, and he was kind of a troublemaker, if you will. Uh, but God changed his name to Israel, uh, uh, the very name of the nation of God himself. So he goes on here, and he tells us, and we'll go back now to the ninth chapter, if you will. Uh, he says, <clears throat> he says, For I could wish myself a curse, verse 3, from the Christ, for my brethren, for my ki- my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites... To whom, and, and I think he's intentional. That's what I was trying to get at. I think he's intentional. He didn't say here uh, who are Jews. He said who are Israelites, uh, who are descendants of Jacob, uh, uh, the chosen one of God, to be the line through which God would bring the Messiah into this world. Okay? He says who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption. We've already said adoption has been defined as the redemption of the body. Redemption of the body is related to God's chosen people. Redemption of the body is not related to all of humanity. All of humanity is not included in redemption of the body. Redemption of the body is is given to those that Christ died for on the cross okay so he says who are israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption so what's he mean he's talking about the israelites who were chosen of god uh, to be redeemed who were bought upon the cross uh, not including all of humanity not include not even including all of the jews not including all of the descendants of Jacob, uh, but those of Jacob who, to whom the adoption pertains, okay? Uh, and I don't want to sit here and say, like, we're narrowing this thing down to where it's just a small little group of people. No, sir. Uh, the Bible proclaims, doesn't uh, doesn't support that uh, line of thinking. The Bible says that the, the uh, host of heaven, uh, the inhabitants of heaven, uh, are as the sand of the seashore and as the stars of the sky... Innumerable. So great that no man can number them, okay? So I I, I like to say things like that because I don't want people, whether you're listening out there or listening here this morning, to get confused. As we say the chosen people of God, we're not trying to get this thing down to some little small group of people here. We're talking about a great number of people that Christ died for. So he says, who is he addressing here? He's addressing the Israelites. He is in great sorrow and great pain and great agony because he has fellow Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, which means they're chosen people of God. Uh, And I think in, in all likelihood, Paul is talking about chosen people of God who have been born of the Spirit of God already, who are not seeing Christ as their Savior. That's what's causing him great sorrow. He says, I'm in great sorrow, I'm in great heaviness, because my kinsmen, my brethren who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose fathers are, who, whose are, whose are the fathers and of whom concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel that are of Israel." He's just told you the same thing that he told you back in uh, back in chapter two of of the same Roman letter. When he tells you over there that the, uh, the a Jew is not one which is one outwardly, but a Jew is one which is one inwardly. He comes over here and says it this way: They're not all of Israel, which are of Israel. They're not all the chosen of God, just because they're the descendants of Abraham and Jacob. Isaac and Jacob, okay? Neither because they are the seed of Abraham. He, he hammers this thing down. Uh, if you think uh, that, that somehow, and I'll tell you, I, and I'll, I'll just say it like this too. I love, I loved and from a natural standpoint, I have a great affection toward the nation Israel. I, do, I just do I, I, I'm telling you, as I look over there uh, at, the, at that land that God has brought back together after nearly two thousand years of not being a people and bringing that land back together and and having the opportunity to go over there uh, and to to see the place where Je- places where Jesus would have walked and where Jesus would have been and where he would have been on the sea that's that's special uh, and the people of Israel were special. You know what? God says they were special because unto them were given the laws and were given the oracles of God. They had something nobody else on earth had. They had had the blessings of God on their nation. God delivered them. He was was their example giver, if you will. He was the one that... He lived with them and He walked with them and He taught with them and He gave them His word and His promises and His laws. They were special. But But He tells us here... Something else, he says, uh, they're not all. They are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham, that would include Ishmael, and that would include Isaac. Uh, neither because they're the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God. <laughs> I mean, can you... Today, and I love I love my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but a lot of people will look at the descendants of Israelites, of the Jews of this world, and say, those are the people of God. Well... They were the blessed people of God because they had the laws and they had the prophets and they had they gave us the word of God. Thanks to them and their steadfastness in, in writing down the word of God and the inspiration of the prophets, thanks to them, we have the, the Bible and the word of God today. We're blessed because of them, okay? But he says, just because you're the seed of Abraham... Uh, Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are all are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called? That is, in other words, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for seed. okay. Now he's going to get it a little bit you know, keep ratcheting down here and explaining to us what's going on. If you turn over to the Galatian book, the Galatians, Uh, chapter 4 and y'all have heard me preach on this many times but i'll give you i'll give you some some scripture here in galatians but i'll also give you the verbal explanation of it uh y'all have heard me say and y'all of course probably one of my favorite stories in the bible is to go back and talk about abraham and sarah and how abraham and sarah didn't have any children And God had promised them a child, okay? And he'd promised them that uh, Abraham unto thee and unto thy seed will I give this land over here that I'm going to show you. And so Abraham, uh, at 75 years of age, comes out and follows after the voice of God and after the leading of God and goes over, leaves Ur of the Chaldees, which is an area of which today, if you look on the modern map, it would be Iraq down near the the, uh, Persian Sea part of that. Uh, they, they left Iraq, he, he walked, he didn't take a bus by the way, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't have a bus or a car or a bicycle, uh, or he, he walked from Ur of the Chaldees to the land of Israel, a land which God promised to give him uh, and told him, everywhere the sole of your foot treads, I'll give it to you. Man, and to thee and to thy seed will I give it Well, Abraham doesn't have any children. And so, you know the story of Ishmael and how they try to to do God's work for them. But when Abraham and Sarah both got to the point where they were too old to actually have children by nature, God came to Abraham and Sarah and said, a year from now, Sarah's going to have a child. That's that's the case, by the way, where Sarah's back back in the tent on the other side of the curtain over there. And the Bible says, she laughed within herself. She 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 didn't laugh out loud, okay. But with the interception, <laughs> right? Okay, I, I'm too old to have children, and Abraham's too old to father children. How are we going to have children, okay? But what she didn't what she wasn't recognizing was the life giving power of God. That God speaks and it's done. He commands and it stands fast. And I'll tell you, and you'll see how this works together here in just a moment, okay? Uh, when he says, and they're not all children of God, which are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac shall thy seed be well, What's so special about Isaac? Isaac was the child that wasn't conceived naturally. Isaac was the child that God calls to be born inside of Sarah's womb and that this so he was a special child he was much like if you want to say this it's much like a picture of the Holy Spirit overshadowing a young virgin by the name of Mary and her having a child even though she had never been with a man uh, she had a child because God blessed that child to be in, in her. Sarah was the same way except she's on the other end of the spectrum. She's not a young virgin. She's an old woman who is now blessed because God overshadowed her and brought and enabled life to be in her okay now keep that picture in your mind as we're talking about they're not all of the seed of abraham but in isaac shall thy seed be called because they're the seed of promise what are you and i as children of god god promised before the world ever was that he would redeem a people a save a people that there would be a people that would be the bride of christ we're promised, but we have, but we have no ability to spiritually born ourselves again. We're just like Isaac was. Isaac was a thought or an idea in Abraham and Sarah's mind, and he didn't come into existence till God enabled it to happen. You and I, my friends, as spiritual beings, we're like, we're like Isaac. We're promised but have no ability to to be born into this old world spiritually except God come and cause it to happen. That's the very picture that we find over in John chapter 3. When Nicodemus came, came, to him, came to Jesus and wanted to know uh, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Uh, and, uh, and Jesus explained to him, the spirit is like the wind. It blows where it listeth. And no man knows whence it cometh or whether it goeth. But God who sends it, and, uh, he says, so is everyone that's born of the Spirit of God. It's just, God causes it to happen. It's, I mean, it's beautiful. And you and I are children of promise just like Isaac. And because of that, we have an inheritance, okay? So he he tells us, and so in, in Galatians chapter 4, uh, in, in verse 27, he says, It is written, for, for it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children, than she which hath a husband. Oh, I'm telling you, that's a beautiful piece of Scripture from over in Isaiah that Paul quotes here in Galatians. But he says, but as as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, so it is now. Okay? Now you just think about what he just told you here in Galatians 4.29. The one that's born after the flesh, he's talking about Ishmael. And, and the, the, he that's born after the Spirit, he's talking about Isaac. And he says, the one that's born after the flesh persecutes the one that's born after the Spirit. You and I are Isaac and Ishmael all together in one body. That's who we, that's who we are. And the flesh, the one born after the flesh, is constantly persecuting the one that's born after the Spirit. And we have this warfare going on within us. <clears throat> and we're saved by hope. Because we know that there's a promise that God has given us. And Paul is struggling and suffering and agonizing because he has kindred in, in, uh, uh, in nature, Israelites, who are his brethren. He knows they're his brethren by adoption. Uh, and he says he's, his big concern is not... He's, Paul's not worried about whether or not they're going to be in heaven one of these days. He's already told us in, in Romans chapter 8. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Paul's not worried about that. He's worried about the fact he's got a bunch of brethren that don't know that Jesus Christ is their Savior. They don't know. And you know what? That, that's kind of, that's kind of ought, to, ought to be in a lot of ways. That's where we ought to be a lot of times. It's not that, uh, that, that we're worried about people going to hell. We're worried about our brothers, our those who have the adoption of of God, who's to wit the redemption of the body, who who have been or will be born again one of these days, but they don't know that Jesus Christ is the one that saved them. Paul was concerned about that. Let me finish here in Galatians 4. We'll get back to Romans 9. He says for as he then that was born after the flesh persecuted them that was born after the spirit even so or in like manner it is now <laughs> Nevertheless what saith the scripture Cast the bondwoman and her uh, and her son cast out the bondwoman and her son and the son of the and the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman You know what you and I are to do We're to cast out the bondwoman the, the, the bond woman, uh, the bond servant, she was a bond servant of, of Abraham and Sarah. She wasn't a slave. She was an indentured slave. Uh, uh, and, and you and I are to cast out the bond woman. What are, what, am I, what are you saying, Brother Charles? We have a flesh nature that we need to be casting out. We're not children of the bond woman. We're children of the free woman. We need to recognize who our daddy is, okay? We need to recognize who our real mama is. Uh, we're children of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bond woman, but of the free. Recognize who your real daddy is. I, lo- I love my natural father that I had here in this world. He's gone on to glory. Uh, uh, and, I- and I'm thankful. And I'm thankful for all the things he taught me. <laughs> and I know many of you are sitting here today and you're, th- and you're thinking about our daddies and our mamas and we're thinking about... But, but in this whole life, as much as we love them, we got, a- we got a daddy that's in heaven, my friends. He's free. He's made us free. All right, so now... Back to Romans 9. (laughs) So he says, Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for seed. For this is the word of promise. Here here was the promise. Uh, Here's the word of promise. "At at At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. She's going to have a son. Uh, uh, Lord, she's too old. No, she's going to have a son because God said she was going to have a son, okay? That was the promise. And not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one, even our father Isaac, parentheses, explanation coming about, about this. For the children... Jacob and Esau, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works but of Him that calleth. Okay, so now let's go back to Romans eight for a moment, and about predestination. A lot of people say what God did, uh, whom He foreknew, right? Whom He foreknew, then He did also predestinate, and whom He predestinated, then He also called. A lot of people today, because they're not sure how to handle this, they look back over there at at God's foreknowledge, and they say, oh, what God did was he looked down through time, and he knew who was going to accept and believe and confess, and that's who he predestinated to be conformed to his image. No, my friends, uh, they're getting, they're getting the, uh, the cart before the horse, okay? Uh, uh, they're getting the, the causative action. Uh, uh, you know, they're getting the results, the response ahead of the cause, okay? And so Paul is telling us here that the children, this... And, you know, examples, uh, just like all the examples that you find here in Romans chapter 9, the examples are not perfect, Okay? But they're meant to teach a lesson. Uh, And so you need to get the lesson and not say, well, it doesn't match up in every aspect of eternity, uh, of eternal salvation that we find. No, but it teaches a lesson. And the lesson that we're to get out of Jacob and Esau is that the choice that God told Rebekah before the children were ever born, that the elder would serve the younger. All right? And the point of this is before the children were ever born, before either one of them had ever done anything good or anything evil, God told her who who was going to serve, which one was going to serve the other one, so that we couldn't look back and say, "Well, she chose Isaac because Isaac was such a good kid." No, uh, she didn't. She didn't choose Isaac because he. I mean, uh, Jacob because he was such a good kid. In fact, you go and read about Esau and Jacob, both of them are pretty much, Esau's just pretty much a fleshly guy. I mean, you know, all you hunters, don't take me out, don't take me out and string me up after we're done, okay? But, I mean, his his mind was strictly on, let's go hunting. Hey, I'm a hunter. I like to hunt. Daddy liked his food. Daddy liked it. Isaac liked it when Esau went hunting and brought home the meat and all that kind of stuff. But that's what his mind was on continually and when he didn't get something, he came home one time and he sold his birthright to his brother Jacob over a pot of soup. Okay? But he cared nothing about an inheritance he cared nothing. All he wanted to do was, today's turn, all he wanted to do was fishing hunt. I mean, that's, that's where his mind was. All he wanted to do was be out hunting all the time. Uh, he wasn't worried about his mama and his, you know, he, he wasn't worried about his family. He's just wanted to be out hunting. Well, Jacob, on the other hand, I mean, nobody had to make him, his mama didn't have to make him no big elaborate deal. Jacob stayed home and worked in the field uh, you know, and what he wasn't a hunter, but he was a crop grower and all that kind of stuff, and he worked in the garden and all that. But when his mama came along and says, "Hey, I got this deal for you. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna fool your daddy into thinking that you're the uh, thinking you're the oldest, so he'll give his blessing to you." And you know, do you see anywhere where Jacob said, "Hey, mama, that ain't right. We don't need to be doing that." Jacob fell right in there with her, <laughs> and that was his nature. Okay and so when you look at the two boys they they're not the same one of them's got one issue nothing they're that not kind of like children that we have today they're not the same one of them's got one problem another's got another problem uh but they're just fleshly kids okay and so before they were ever born before any either one of them had done anything good god told rebecca the elder's going to serve the younger okay for the children being not yet born, verse 11, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election. What is that That election? The choice of God. Before that the purpose of God according to, to election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. It, it was of God that the elder was going to serve the younger. Okay? And he says, It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, jacob i have loved but esau have i hated now that word hated doesn't mean uh god loved him less okay Uh, esau was not a chosen of god and god didn't have any love for for esau okay now Does that mean that Esau got no blessings in life? Well, no. Uh, Esau, as a natural man, God told him and told Jacob, he says, I'm going to cause 12 kings to come up under Esau. But he he says, uh, I'm also going to cause 12 nations to come up under under Jacob. Uh, And, of course, we know that that's the children of Israel, the tribes of Israel and so forth. And they were blessed in a different way. But there were kings that came up under Esau as well. But it's all carnal kingdoms. It's all carnal kingdoms, carnal things of this world and so forth. So he says, uh, As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. If you want to know where it's written, it's written in Malachi chapter 1, verses 1, 2, 3. You can go read that over there. It is written in the Old Testament that uh, that, uh, God loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. And then he says, just exactly what most people say today. When you tell people today that God has a people that he loves and God has a people that he hates, you know what people say? Well, ain't fair. That wouldn't be fair. If it was like that, it wouldn't be fair. Well, Paul, 2,000 years ago, anticipated what people were going to say and, he, and then he answers and he says... As it is written, verse thirteen: Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness or sin with God? God forbid. God is because God made a clear choice of His own of His own choosing does not mean that there's unrighteousness with God. For He saith unto Moses, <coughs> I will have. <coughs> excuse me. For he saith unto Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Now, I think that's written over in the 32nd chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. And over there it says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and uh, and to whom not not I will not be, you know. So, I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. Here, he couches it in the word mercy. And I think it's so important because as we go through this lesson here in chapter 9, he goes on a little bit later to talk about the potter having power over the clay, and that they're being vessels of honor or mercy and vessels of dishonor, all right? Uh, or wrath. Is the word that's used. Uh, so these vessels of mercy are vessels that God had grace upon. <laughs> he had mercy upon them. It wasn't that they, that one group of vessels deserved more, uh, deserved the grace or deserved the mercy. God says, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have grace on whom I'll have grace. Why? What we're learning here, one of the things that we're learning, that we should already know, but one of the things Paul is teaching the church at Rome here, God is sovereign. He does what he wishes. He works his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. God does what pleases God. And God, my friends, would have been just if he sent all of humanity to hell because they deserved it. The only reason there's not going to be people in hell one of the, in hell one of these days is because God had mercy on them. All right? His mercy was dis- displayed by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. His mercy, his wrath was displayed because the wrath that we deserved was poured out on Christ. And so you begin to get this picture here that it's not the natural seed of Abraham, it's the promised seed. That's where there was, a, there was a lesson being taught back there in the Old Testament that God's blessings come through His promises, uh, through His purposes and His promises. Uh, and He tells us here uh, that these two twin brothers who both came forth from their mama's womb. Uh, uh, they were twins. They, didn't, they weren't identical twins because one was red-skinned and one was fair. Uh, so they were non-identical twins. Boy, uh, anyway, uh, I won't even go down that trail of thinking. But but So they're, they're not identical. But they were born of the same father, the same mother, exactly the same time. But before they were ever born, God says, I'm going to bless the elder to serve the younger. And he says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Why is it you and I have the blessings of salvation and of grace and mercy today? It's not because we willed it or because we did such a good job of our works that we can go around and say, well, look at all my good works. It's not on my running. It's God that showed mercy on me and you. And I tell you, when we, get, when we get that picture in our minds, you know why you're saved? You're saved because God had mercy on you. You're saved because God had uh, uh, chose you and His Son Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world, and in and Christ died for you on the cross without the loss of a single one. That's how perfect His work was. And I'll tell you, when we get that picture in our mind, we then can realize who we are and how great He is. I'm going to stop right here because if I keep going, there's there's no end to it. So we got we got about halfway through this night chapter. We'll come back and look at the rest of the ninth chapter uh, next next week. But he continues to teach this lesson. And he's telling the children of Israel, those that he has great sorrow for, he's telling them why they are, are truly blessed. It's not because you had the law. It's not because you were the seed of Abraham. It's not because you were the descendants of Isaac and Jacob. It's because God loved you. And God had mercy on you. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. The reason you're going to be that you're blessed with this salvation that Paul is describing here is because God had mercy on you. Wow. And we're all the same. Jew and Gentile, doesn't matter. It's because of God's grace and mercy. So, anyway, so we just, as we as we go through this and see this. Paul wanted them to have the same joy he was seeing the Gentiles have this joy and he was seeing other of his fellow Jews have this joy he wanted all of his brothers and sisters who knew this, who were adopted in Jesus Christ to have the same joy that he had and realize that Jesus Christ that stumbling block had had been their Savior may God bless you uh for another week and may we continue to pray and be saved by the hope that we have of a great